Good morning, church. It's great to be sharing with you today. Um, and we are in our third week of the book of James and this series called The Grit and Glory of Faith, as Martin said earlier. And we're looking at the hard things that we as Christians are to apply to our lives, but understanding the good and the glory to God that comes from them. And today we've got an absolute cracker for you. So let's Dive in and read James 2, 1 to 13 together, either on the screen or in your Bibles at home. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Do not commit adultery, but do commit murder. You have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because the judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. For mercy triumphs over judgment. I wonder when we hear that word favoritism where your mind goes to. Probably a lot do you think of your parents and you think of whenever you've been aggrieved by your parents and you accuse them of favoritism towards one of your siblings. Or for fans of the Netflix series The Crown, you will have seen an episode in the most recent series where Margaret Thatcher, Prince Philip and the Queen talk openly about their favorite children. Now, it is a drama, so we don't know if it's factually correct, but maybe watch for yourself and decide. Or maybe, like me, you thought of that biased sports referee, where every decision they made was against you and your team, and everything you do or try is thwarted by their every decision, and you end up getting knocked out in the quarterfinal when you could have gone all the way. It's fine. I'm over it, honestly. Well, here in our passage today, James is talking about favoritism. And I love it when people are blunt and to the point about things. And James is here in this passage. He sets out his stall early. There's no ambiguity or doubt what James is saying in this passage. We see it in verse 1. Believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. James is telling the church and subsequently telling us that we as Christians are not to show favoritism. And that's the point of today's sermon, that we are not to show favoritism. Now, when James says favoritism, 
He's not talking about trivial preferences that we like to ask as icebreakers, like Galaxy or Dairy Milk, PlayStation or Xbox, Burger King or McDonald's, or not that it's relevant anymore, but our favorite restaurant, favorite holiday, or favorite pub. He is talking about prejudice. He's talking about bias, whether that's conscious or unconscious. He's talking about discrimination towards other people. And James has addressed this right at the beginning. They are not, the early church, the Christians are not to show favoritism. But he expands and he explains the issue that he's talking about. And he gives us this fantastic illustration. One that doesn't need too much explanation. One of judgment. And it's probably a scenario that was relevant for the time, but it's probably still relevant today. And I wonder if we can relate. If you look down at verses two to four, where we find two men, one in his finery, his gold jewelry. If it were today, he would have been suited from Savile Row, maybe have a nice watch on his wrist and has just got out of his new slick car. And then the other, he's a poor man in filthy old clothes. Maybe they didn't fit him. Maybe they were falling apart. He's perhaps slept rough the night before. We may have even walked past him and never even noticed him. But they come into church and they receive very different welcomes. We read, to the man wearing fine clothes, you say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you sit over there. You sit on the floor by my feet. And to say James is unhappy about it would be a little bit of an understatement. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is calling out the Christians for showing preferential treatment based on how someone looks, for judging someone in just a snapshot, for showing favoritism to this wealthy man. And I wonder this morning where that illustration hit you, where it hits us. We don't have to imagine too hard to picture the scenario in today's context because the same two people walk down our streets especially here in Battersea, where we have incredible riches and incredible poverty right next to each other. These two men even walk into our church in 2021. And this illustration that James gives isn't just an isolated incident, but the issue he is talking about goes much deeper. He's talking about foundations of favoritism, as verse four says, where we have shown judgment and we have discriminated against others. How many times does the Bible tell us not to judge? There's so many that we can't probably even count. We all know and we've all heard, judge not lest thee be judged. But we do. We show judgment, we show favoritism in all manner of ways. And we have done since we were a young age. You can imagine that playground scene where, we, where children would choose not to play with other kids because they were different to them. And as adults, are we any different? We live in a world where we have unconscious bias, where we are not as inclusive of different races, different ages, the homeless, or those with disabilities, to name but a few. And why? Because they're different from us. But as Christians, we're called to be different from the world, different from the world we live in. We are called to not show favoritism. And I have to admit, uh, reading this this week really challenged me. 
where do I show favoritism in my life? Where's the unconscious bias in me and what is it? And that big question, how can I be more inclusive? And I feel like God is maybe trying to say something to me. As the last time I spoke to you, I was looking in Nehemiah and I was looking at the topic of injustice. And that definitely challenged me too. And I'm not sure fully what God is saying to me at this moment, but I'm gonna take the time to find out how he wants me to react, how he wants me to respond to this challenge. And it might take some digging, but that's what I plan to do. So James this morning has addressed the issue and now he has some instructions for the church. James is instructing them that we are not here to be judges of people. His message to the early church was one of who are we as Christians to decide who or who may not come into our church. The gospel, the good news of Jesus isn't exclusive for one set of people, for rich or for poor, but it is for everyone. And James reminds these Christians in verse five that God has a particular care for the poor. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Which in fact, these Christians were these people too. They may well have been poor financially, which a lot of the early church were, but James is referencing Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that in the eyes of the world, these Christians, the early church, were poor. They were poor as they did not put their trust in earthly riches but they put their trust and their riches in God. And that is us too, as Christians. We have not placed value in ourselves or in the things the world has this to offer, but we've placed our value in Christ. And now for James, there's a bit of irony with how the church acted in favoritism. When they showed favoritism to certain people, when the world had showed them no favoritism whatsoever. And it's an example of how fickle we can truly be, how we can be influenced by the world around us and what they place value in. And we choose to follow suit. James is reminding the church and he's reminding us that the kingdom of God is available to all, but is not for them. It is not for us, the Christians, to decide who comes to it. James continues with his instruction to the church by taking us back to the the second greatest commandment. And I love how he puts it in this passage. He describes it as the royal law of scripture. It's royal as it comes from Jesus, the king of kings. There in verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right a royal law and one worthy of following. We remember that Jesus gave this in Mark 12 and he includes it with the two greatest commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's so simple in theory, so simple to think through and agree that these are great ideals to live our lives by. We even teach that second one to children in most of our schools as the golden rule to treat others as you would like them to treat you. It's so uncomplicated on paper, but bringing it into reality, that's where it gets difficult. 
that's where it gets difficult and applying that every single day. And some days we might get it right. Some days we might get it really right. But there's others that we don't. And we often need to be reminded regularly of this law. And I know that I certainly do in my life. But there are those of you who live this out every day. And we've seen the Love Your Neighbor campaign across the HTV network. And we have heard from our incredible food bank this morning and the amazing work that they are doing to serve those who are struggling through poverty and in particular struggling because of this pandemic. And these guys are living out the love of our neighbors. There's no favoritism for these guys. There's no judgment in what they do. They act and they serve out of mercy and compassion for others. And where does this mercy come from? Where does this lack of favoritism come from in their lives? And when I say mercy, I mean love that responds to someone in an unexpected way, a way that they weren't expecting. And that's what these guys pour out. But before we get to that question, let's go back to our passage for a moment to understand what showing favoritism really means. Verse 9 tells us that we are lawbreakers for showing favoritism. Now, children, I'm not sure we can call favoritism and shout lawbreaker anytime there's a bigger piece of cake given to your sibling or when they get an extra helping of dinner. It may have been an honest mistake. I don't know, in your house. But if, even if it was not, I'm not sure that we are in any position to judge. Remember, we are all guilty of breaking the royal law of Scripture, of not loving our neighbor. And it feels that in James 10, and in verses 10 and 11, he's preempting the response the church were probably thinking through when they heard this. Say, so, yeah, we, we may have broken that part of the law, just, just that part of the law, but everything else, everything else, we're, we're okay. We've got everything else covered. But James says, no, if we break any part of the law, we are lawbreakers. And if we show any favoritism, we have broken God's law. What James is trying to get at is that it's impossible for us to always keep all the law all the time. We are all lawbreakers. We have all sinned and turned away from God in our heads, in our hearts, and with our actions. And you may be feeling that that's pretty bleak at this moment. And I think we could forgive the early church here for maybe feeling a little bit in despair. They've been told off for showing favoritism to the wealthy told law for judging people. They've been told they've broken God's law. They could easily have shut the letter at this point and moved off like a school student. But we haven't finished yet. It's like those videos that we get sent and people say, watch till the end. Because that's where the joke is. That's where the punchline is. That's where the beautiful moment is. And we need to have the whole story. We need to have the whole picture, the whole passage, and not just part of it. And we continue into verse 12. James tells them to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This is Christ's law. That Christ does not want us to follow the law out of obligation or duty. He wants us to follow his law because we desire and long to. To follow the law set out to us because we want to, not because we have to. The law of freedom is a law of mercy, not one of judgment or condemnation for wrongdoing, but one of forgiveness. 
which means no matter how much we mess up, no matter how many times we break the law or turn away from him, that he shows us mercy. He shows us mercy and allows us the freedom to live and follow him. And in knowing and living in that law, James concludes with an almighty statement in verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. For mercy triumphs over judgment. A compelling challenge that considering the freedom we have because of Christ's law and the mercy shown to us from him that we should show mercy to others. And that if we don't, then there will be judgment for us. This declaration is to make us consider our own actions towards people, to not show favoritism to others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what this passage is ultimately all about. And our action and our understanding of mercy comes from the fact that we were shown mercy by Jesus. That for God, mercy is greater and triumphs over judgment. And that is why God sent Jesus to show us mercy. As we read, we are all guilty of breaking the law. We are deserving of judgment, but through the work of Jesus and what he did in his death and resurrection, he allows us to live in freedom and worship him. It is understanding the fullness and entirety of God's mercy that we've been shown that should enable us and encourage us to show mercy to others. Who are we to show favoritism, to not love our neighbors as ourselves, to not be inclusive of those who are different from us? The gospel is for all people from every tribe and tongue and nation, for every financial, social and health background. The gospel and mercy that Jesus shows is for all people and we are not to inhibit it with our favoritism and our judgment. I've been so encouraged hearing about the food bank this morning and hearing the stories of what they've been doing. And last week hearing from our racial diversity inclusion group that we as a church are taking strides to make St. Mark's a more inclusive place for all people from all different races. But we don't wanna stop there. We want St. Mark's to be more accessible from all walks of life for those with disability, for those who feel marginalized, for those in poverty. And I'm sure there are more that I've forgotten. And on our website, you can see what we're about. We have a statement that says, St. Mark's Battersea Rise is committed to being a church that reflects the creativity, diversity, and unity of heaven. A place that welcomes people from every tongue, tribe, and nation into its vision and mission. That's what we are about at St. Mark's. That is what we want to do passionately is to serve people from all walks and situations in life. We want to do the work that Jesus came to do on this earth. That he came for all people. He came as a voice for the voiceless to meet with the tax collectors. He met with the prostitutes, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the Jews and the Gentiles. There was no favoritism in Jesus and we want to be a part of that too. And maybe this morning you feel compelled to join us in not showing favoritism as a church and that is great, 
We want and we need more people to help us achieve the goals, to help us achieve our vision and what we set out. And that's where we're heading as a church family. We are not there yet, but with your help and with your compassion for people, we can get there and we can get there through serving God. But there's also the challenge of living in this out in our everyday. The people we walk past in the street, the people we see on the bus, the people we work with, our, our friends, our family. I'm sure I could keep going. There are so many neighbors for us to love. And where do we begin? Well, we begin and we start by understanding and rejoicing in the mercy that was shown to us through Jesus. And then, once we've fully grasped the magnitude of that, we will want to show it to others. For there is no favoritism in the gospel. There's only mercy and love. As I was preparing for this morning and all this talk of mercy and loving our neighbor, I was taken to the confession that we regularly do in our church services. And I would love to close with the words of that confession. And maybe you might join me in, in closing your eyes and listening and echoing the words of this confession, and then I'll pray. And for those who don't know what a confession is, it's our time where we bring ourselves before God and apologize for what we've done wrong and give thanks for the mercy he has for us. So why don't we pause and join and echo what I say. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, in word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that mercy that you have lovingly lavished upon us. And Lord, will you let that mercy work in each one of us, that we will go out and show mercy and compassion and love and, and get away from judgment and favoritism. But Lord, will you be doing a good work in each of our hearts today? that we will bring glory to your name, that we will praise your holy name in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we are. In your son's name I pray. Amen.